0: Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. Um, I understand that we're in the middle of a sermon series called Spaces. Um, I'm honored to come and contribute to the learning that we are going to be doing here as a congregation. Um, And so if you don't mind, we're going to go ahead and turn in our Bibles. Is that all right? Is that all right if we go ahead and get started? Um, we're going to be, the text is going to be coming from the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. The book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, but whatever version you have will do. Um, and I know I'm a little old school, but would you all mind standing for the word of God on this morning? Would that be okay? Can we stand for the reading? Thank you so much. Book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. And it reads... The Israelites, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month and the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord." Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates or macaroni and cheese or cranberry sauce. And there is no water to drink. That's, that's just what I need. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus, you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus, you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. Verse nine. So Moses took the staff from the Lord, from before the Lord, as he commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his, that wasn't the instruction, struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. With your prayers and permission on this Sabbath morning, I would like to preach under the title, The Missing Voices. The Missing Voices. Let's pray together. O Lord, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Not my words but thine, not my will but yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The missing voices. Uh, Church family, the text that we just read together this morning is a bit of an emotional paradox. We're gonna dive deep into the nuances in just a second, but if we back up and look big picture, it's kind of hard to say if the story we just read is a tragedy or a triumph, right? It's kind of both. Uh, It is a tragedy and a triumph. It is an answered prayer and an early grave. The water is flowing and the leaders are cast down. This miracle should have been pure, the joy untainted, the celebration unstained, but but, but, but the, uh, the crescendo of the moment is drowned out by the depth of loss. Zoom in on the scene with me. Picture it in your head. Can you see Moses? Can you see his hollow, tight-lipped smile? Can you see his, his eyes quiver and his fingers shake as the people are praising and God condemns him? Everyone around him clapping, cheering, yelling, drinking, shouting, and his heart is breaking. Uh, you don't have to say amen, church family, but some of us here uh, know the pain of, ext- of achieving extraordinary professional success while our life at home lies in ruins. The, the, some of us know the, the pain, the cognitive dissonance, the whiplash, the, the, the nausea of being cheered by the people who know us least and condemned by the people who know us best. Praised at the office, celebrated in the workspace, distinguished at the company, but condemned at home praised at church, celebrated at church. This uh, I'm gonna leave it alone, I'm gonna leave it alone. Uh, this is a story of a triumph and a tragedy, a miracle and a punishment. The water is flowing, the men are clapping, the women are singing, the children are shrieking and Moses is exiled. Let's zoom out, let's set the table. If I got any uh, Bible scholars in the house, you might recognize that this is the second time the Israelites ran out of water in the wilderness and God used Moses to bring water in the rock. The first story occurs in Exodus 17. We won't turn there today, but I encourage you go home and read it in your spare time. It's very, very similar to the story we looked at this morning, Uh, but there is a key difference. And the big difference is timing. The first water from the rock story takes place in the first month of the Israelite journey and the wilderness. It's it's very much at the beginning of their journey. The story that we're reading today takes place after nearly 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. The stories very much sandwich the Israelite journey, one at the beginning and one at the end. And because of the difference in timing, something unique happens at the beginning of our text. Let's look at verse 1 again, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 1. The Israelites, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. This is the opening verse to our story this morning, and if we read it too fast, we might miss its significance. I understand the text is in a hurry to get someplace. The text is trying to go to Moses and Aaron and the rock and the children, but we will get there soon. But first, we need to plant our feet in verse 1, resist the current of the text, and just stop and examine what's happening here. I believe verse 1 is the most important verse in this chapter. Miriam died there, the text says, and was buried there. Seven words, a seven word eulogy for Miriam, the older sister of Moses. Miriam, the prophet of God. When Aaron passes away at the end of the chapter, he gets seven verses. When Moses passes away, he gets a whole chapter. But Miriam receives just seven words. Miriam died there and was buried there. When we first meet Miriam, she is watching over her baby brother's basket as it floats aimlessly down the Nile. Then when it's picked up by an Egyptian princess, she steps up to the princess, uses her voice, and negotiates her mother back into her child's life, for she was Miriam the Watcher, Miriam, the protective older sister, Miriam, the caretaker, has died. When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 20, verse 20 and 21, it says, Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out with her tambourines and with dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. She was Miriam the dancer, Miriam the praise team leader, Miriam the prophet, Has died. When Moses sends away his first wife and kind of brings a new one around, it's Miriam who challenges and confronts Moses about this, even though her challenge kind of irritates God because she was Miriam the challenger, Miriam the confronter, Miriam the outspoken has died. Micah 6 verse 4 says for I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery and I sent you before Moses Aaron and Miriam she was Miriam the leader Miriam the legend Miriam the prophet has died. Uh, One more, when Miriam got sick with leprosy and was exiled from the camp, the Bible says in Numbers 12 verse 15, so Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days and the people did not move on until she was brought back. They did not move on without her. She was Miriam the beloved, Miriam the waited for, Miriam the irreplaceable has died. She's not demure, she's not shy, she's not quiet, not scared, not timid, not fearful. She is fiercely loyal, full of passion, full of fire, beloved and highly regarded, loud and stood her ground. She was not afraid to call it like she sees it, not afraid to negotiate with power, not afraid to be wrong. And now this titan of the Torah has died and the text wants to memorialize her with seven words. Miriam died there and was buried there. all her accomplishments, all her leadership, all her fire, seven words. I'm not gonna stay here too long, much, uh, much longer, church family, but I can't help but notice that uh, far too often we will downplay the importance of women because we are in a rush to understand the story of men. <laughs> far too often We downplay the importance of women because we are in a rush to understand the story of men. As a society, we have too often relegated the lives of women as footnotes and parentheticals in our our haste to understand what we think is the heart of the issue. But we must love our Miriams. We must embrace our Miriams. The people, often women, who are willing to be disruptors. The people, often women, who are willing to make people uncomfortable, to rock the boat, to challenge the status quo, because they keep our spaces honest. They keep our spaces authentic. They keep them real. We need the disruptor. We need the challenger. We need the person who's not afraid to say, you know, I might be wrong about this, but something is bugging me and I'm not going to move until we figure this thing out. We have to love them. Because when their voice goes missing, we lose something critical. Miriam's death is not a side issue in this text. It's not a speed bump on the way to some other adventure. Miriam's death is central to everything that happens after. The text is in a hurry. The text has a story it wants to tell and a place it wants to go, but we cannot fully understand what happens with the rock and Moses and Aaron until we understand who Miriam is, what she stood for, and what was missing because she died. See, Moses has faced this issue before. Remember, 40 years earlier, at the beginning of their journey, the Israelites run out of water and they go complaining to Moses. God tells Moses to speak to the rock. And Moses does, and the water flows. You would think, based off past experience, that Moses would now handle this issue calmly, Rationally, knowing that God will provide for them now as God has provided in the past. Nothing to worry about business as usual, ho-hum, except in the text, Moses is mad. Moses is livid. Something has set him off because this isn't the same situation as before. Now the text says Miriam is dead. Miriam the protector, Miriam the prophet, Miriam the older sister. Imagine, church family, how many conversations Miriam, Moses, and Aaron must have had about the promised land together. Imagine them staying up late into the night, theorizing and planning, guessing and hoping. What would the promised land look like? What would it smell like? What would the fruit taste like? How late would the sun stay up? How early would it get up again in the next morning? Can you see them sitting next to an open flame, night after night, hands toward the fire, wondering about what blessings of God await them in Canaan? Years and years and years they must have talked about this, prayed about this, hoped about this. Years they visualized their life to come. Do you see the intimate space they built together? Forty years of planning, building a community as they labored with God and for God. Their journey to the promised land should have only lasted a few months. They should have got there pretty quickly. But because the people had no faith, And the people complained, the journey lasted 40 years. And now, Miriam is dead. Miriam, the eldest. Miriam, the praise team leader. Miriam, the dancer, the beloved, the waited for. Miriam is dead, never to see the promised land they spent all those years preparing for. And the people? are having the same complaint that started this journey. So Moses, he hears the complaints, the whining, the grumbling. He hears it, but he can see the spot where he buried his sister. And he loses his mind. God tells Moses to speak to the rock. Just speak. Speak to the rock and the water will flow. But Moses is seeing red. He's not thinking straight. Remember now, church family, remember who Moses is. Moses has a temper. Moses is a little bit violent. When he saw the Hebrew slave getting whipped, he killed the Egyptian. Right, okay, oh yeah, he killed the slaver. Yeah, No, 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 Moses was a prince of Egypt. He had some authority. There were a ton of different ways he could have handled that conversation that don't end in violence. Hey, man, okay, look, enough. He got the point. Leave him alone. Walk away. A lot of ways he could have flexed his natural authority to end that situation. But he saw something that upset him, and he reverted to violence, and he killed the Egyptian instantly. Remember who Moses is. He was given the commandments from God, commandments from God's own finger. He goes down the mountain, sees the Israelites messing up, and he's not saying, whoa, guys, what are we doing? We need to talk about this more. No, his first instinct is to shatter the commandments like they're a cheap plate. Moses has a temper. Moses is explosive. When he gets upset, his first instinct is violence. And here, God tells him, speak to the rock. That's all you have to do. Verse 10 and verse 11 of Numbers chapter 20, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Whop, whop. Do you hear the crack of the staff? Echoing off the rock walls. Do you hear the stunned silence of the congregation as their leader's temper explodes? Uh, but watch this pivot. Aaron was there. Aaron heard what Moses was supposed to do. Aaron heard how Moses was supposed to respond. And when Moses' temper started to explode, when the violence of Moses' reaction began to bubble out, Aaron didn't say a word. Mum as mum could be. In fact, he doesn't say anything in the entire text that we're given. Aaron's voice is absent. Missing. He Utterly failed to hold Moses accountable to the same vision Aaron received. Go back with me to verse six. Go back with me to verse six. Uh, I'm looking at Numbers 12, Numbers 20, verses six through eight. The text says, then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Aaron was there. He heard the instructions. He knew what Moses was supposed to do, and he said nothing. No attempt to calm Moses down. No reminder of what God told Moses to do. Uh, Pastor Rico, I watched your sermon from last week, Pastor. I watched your sermon from last week, and you told us we need someone to work with us. You, need, you told us you need someone to walk with us, watch out for us, weep for us. Pastor, you challenged us to be intentional about who we're tied into. Moses is tied into Aaron. Moses and Aaron are supposed to be accountability partners for each other. And Aaron utterly fails. He's too scared, too timid to challenge Moses or stand up for himself. And isn't this always been who Aaron was? Doesn't he have a history of lacking a backbone in critical situations? Right. Some some of y'all might remember that situation where Moses shatters the commandments. He left Aaron in charge. Aaron was supposed to keep the people straight and keep the camp going. Aaron was too timid, too scared, didn't want to stand up for himself. Moses ignores God's instructions. Aaron stands there mute, silent, and stiff. And what's the result? Both of them don't get to see the promised land. Verse 12, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Aaron didn't do a thing. And that was the problem. At the end of time, his inaction was just as problematic as Moses's temper. And it's times like this, church family. It's time like this. I look back on the life of Moses and Aaron, and I remember uh, Aaron was not intended to have this position at all. Y'all got to go back to Exodus chapter 4 and and read how Aaron came to have all this authority. Uh, His title was speaker, but God never intended to put Aaron here. I don't know what God's plan was for Aaron. I have no idea, but it wasn't this. Uh, We don't know what God's plan was, but if you read Exodus chapter 4 again, you'll see the only reason Aaron has this position of power was because Moses was scared. Moses didn't know how to speak. And he said, God, I, 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 I'm not built for this. I'm not ready for this. I need somebody else in a speaking position because I don't trust my mouth to work correctly. And God's like, come on, man, I got you. And God, Moses like, no, I'm serious. I don't think I can do this. God's like, seriously, I got you. And Moses like, I'm serious too. I can't do this. And God's like, fine, get Aaron. Aaron wasn't supposed to be here. God had a different plan for Aaron. And at the end, At the final test, Aaron doesn't say a single word as he is permanently excluded from the promised land. We can learn something from this church family. Many of us are in group chats, conversations, jobs, families, spaces where we are charged with holding others accountable. We cannot do what Aaron did. When his test came, he shrunk away from the moment, shrunk away from the confrontation because at the end of the day, Aaron is no Miriam. And Miriam is dead. Miriam the speaker, Miriam the confronter, Miriam the dancer, Miriam the outspoken, Miriam the prophet, Miriam the challenger has died. And uh, church family, I don't know. I wasn't there, but I have to believe that if Miriam had still been alive, this whole thing would have turned out very differently. She had the spine. She had the backbone. She would have said something. Aaron spent his whole life being silent in the face of evil. Silent Aaron, scared Aaron, timid Aaron. And in the moment, he reverts back to who he was. Aaron and his silence, Moses and his temper, both now excluded from the promised land. And the one person who would have said something has been eulogized with seven words. Miriam died there and was buried there. My first point, church family, is a simple one. Silence is just as dangerous as violence. Silence is just as dangerous as violence and might carry the same spiritual consequences. We must take our responsibility to hold each other accountable seriously. We must take it serious. When we say we're in community with each other, we must take these bonds seriously. We weep with people. We cheer them on. We hold each other accountable. This is what family is. I'm back in my text. I'm back in my text. Let's go back to verse 10. Numbers chapter 20 and verse 10. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? We, 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 who be we? Who is the we? We be who. Who is doing the we? We Define the we, Moses. There's a problem here, church family. I hope you see. Moses has inserted himself into a place that he does not belong. Do you hear the arrogance? The narcissism? Moses has begun to think that he has something to do with the miracle. God has been using Moses as a vehicle, a vessel for miracles for so long that Moses has begun to think that he is special. Not the vessel, not the pot, but now the potter, not the branch, but the vine. Second point, second point, uh, and this isn't for everybody, but listen, some of us here work in ministry. Some of us here work in hospitals. We work in the business of healing. We are on praise teams. We preach. We teach. We have to be careful that we don't reflect God's glory so much that we think God's glory comes from us. We are the mirrors, we are the reflectors. We are not the source. This was the sin of Satan to get confused about where the glory comes from. Moses falls prey to this trap. He thinks he has something to do with the miracle. As the kids say, uh, he started smelling himself a little bit. Started believing his own hype. And now with his words, he makes himself equal with God as miracle worker. And because he is now equal with God as miracle worker, Moses has no problems changing how the miracle is supposed to come about. He gave himself some authority he was not supposed to have. And so now he feels he has the unction to say, God, I know you told me how the miracle was supposed to go. But I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to call a parenthetical. We're going to do this a little bit differently, God. And you are going to go with me because I'm Moses. God was really specific about how the rock and the water, the water was supposed to come about. Speak to the rock and the water will flow. That's all that had to happen. Uh, 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 In Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White notes that the reason this instruction was so specific was because the rock symbolized Jesus. They struck it the first time, the crucifixion. The second time, all we gotta do is speak the name of Jesus. Call on the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. The symbolism was complete, but Moses strikes the rock a second time, crucifying Jesus a second time. Listen, I I I I used to get into Legos. I used to be in the Legos. I love Legos. Um, and I have a little sister, I love her to death. Um, Every once in a while, though, she got a little mischievous, and she would kick over some Legos that I was building for like 15 minutes. Um, That was painful for like six-year-old Charles. I didn't like that. Uh, I'm also, pray for me, I'm also a Green Bay Packers fan. Um, Some of you, let's pray. Uh, We've had a rough decade. (laughs) We've had a rough decade. A year, uh, this year, a whole year of buildup and the last dance. And we're gonna, and we losing the first round, man. We losing the first round. I, that upset me for like two weeks. I'm still kind of upset about it. I can't imagine how God must feel setting up symbolism for 40 years, 40 years of planning, 40 years of getting his metaphor together. And he trusts Moses to put the cherry on top and he kicks the whole thing over. Violent Moses, killing Egyptians, shattering commandments, striking rocks, and yet the water still flowed. The water still flowed. That's the miracle in this text. See, uh, watch this. Watch this. I'm almost through. I'm almost through. Most of the time, especially in the Old Testament, when the leader makes a mistake, the people get punished. I'm going to say that one more time. Uh, most of the time, especially in the Old Testament, when the leader messes up, the people kind of have to pay for it. Uh, 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 don't believe me. Uh, uh, come here, Achan. Yeah, Achan stole the gold from the ruins of Jericho. He died. His whole family died. Uh, Come here, David, uh, went against God's orders, counted his army when he wasn't supposed to. 70,000 Israelites died. Most of the time, when the leader makes a mistake, the people have to pay for it. The people bear the punishment. But here, in this story, the people complained again. Moses struck the rock again again. Aaron was silent again, but the water still flowed. God refused to let Moses' mistake impact the people he was intent on saving. Uh, The people had no idea how close they were. They, are tr- they weren't there. They're trusting Moses to deliver God's instructions. They're trusting Moses to do what God wants Moses to do. The people have no idea that Moses is messing up. And the water still flows. Does anybody in here have a testimony where they didn't even know what God was protecting them from? They didn't even know until later that all this time you thought life was sweet. God was a hedge around you and your family, blocking the attacks of Satan, blocking the attacks of life. Because God said, I don't even need you to know what's out there. I don't even need you to know what's trying to kill you. Just know I got you. I got you. Is this story a tragedy? Or is it a triumph? The answer is yes it is. I want to leave you with this church family. Think of how different the story would be were it not for the missing voices. Had Miriam not died. Miriam the speaker. Miriam the prophet. Had Aaron been brave. Aaron the silent. Aaron the timid. I'm going to close this sermon with a simple appeal this morning. I don't know who I'm talking to in this space today, but some of us are being silent in the face of a wrongdoing. Some of us have the ability and the spiritual discernment to be accountability partners for someone else, but we're not being as vocal as we could be. My appeal for us today, church family, is simple. Whatever conversation we've been putting off, whatever tough talk we've been putting off, because it makes us uncomfortable, because it rocks the boat, because it challenges the status quo, my appeal is that this is the week we do it. Whatever healthy confrontation you've been running from, this is the week to explore it. As we are entering into new spaces, as we are trying to build new community, I call on us to be a church of Miriams, a church of speakers. We will not be missing voices. If the Holy Spirit has spoke to you on this Sabbath morning, I ask that you stand with me and let's pray. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this space and this time thank you for giving us voices. Thank you for giving us discernment. Lord, I pray for all of us who have a confrontation that we need to have. I pray that you give us Holy Ghost courage, Holy Ghost wisdom to handle what needs to be handled. We want to be a church of Miriam's, Lord a church that's not afraid to negotiate with power on behalf of others a church that's not afraid to make a confrontation when we think a confrontation needs to be had we will not go along to get along lord we need you to give us the roots to stand our ground we need you god we need you thank you for this time this people this congregation lord i pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that you give us the strength to have healthy spaces. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.